Do you know who those two people are in the picture? I bet the one on the left you may not, maybe. You know them, but you don't recognize them. That's Nikita Khrushchev. You remember Nikita Khrushchev? The premier of Russia who beat his shoe on the uh, United Nations pulpit. And of course, he came on as a young man under Stalin. And I want to read this to you. Nikita Khrushchev, after he was made premier and Stalin was dead, he was standing up before a crowd speaking of all the bad things that Stalin had done. When suddenly in this large group of people, somewhere out there, a voice went, yeah, and you were his associate. How come you didn't say anything then? Folks, it, it was stunned silent. Look, if you, if you don't have any gray hair at all, you wouldn't have the slightest idea. You just don't say that to the premier of Russia. Okay? And he stopped and he looked. And there was silence. Who said that? No one said a word. And then Nikita Khrushchev looked at the crowd and said, Now you see why I was silent. And folks, I want you to know that that silence was out of fear. But there's a silence far worse than that as we look at our sermon today, which is entitled, Stark reality. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh, you're such a great God. And I want you to know that I don't feel qualified at all to be here. But you have allowed it. And therefore, if we're going to get anything out of this, you need to speak up and not be silent. For, Lord, we all need a better glimpse of Jesus. And so use me in spite of me, Lord, and help our Bible come alive so that we are encouraged to seek you every single day so we can know you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah, the third chapter, Old Testament, second to last book before Matthew, right behind or in front, I guess, of Malachi, Zechariah. Children, get your Bibles out. Remember, this is a continuation of the children's story, and you will soon hear why. So open your Bibles up and turn to Zechariah. Parents, grandparents, help them find Zechariah if they don't know where that is. And then we'll read the story together. Okay? Okay? Are you, I hope you're out there. I see some bodies. All right, here we go. Zechariah, third chapter. Then he showed me Joshua. Then he showed me Joshua, 
the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel of the Lord. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Well, let's take a look at this story and the elements of it. So I'm going to start out with the setting. I think it heightens the the excitement and understanding. Here's the setting of Zechariah. First of all, Jerusalem fell in 586 BC. The first group of returnees from exile in Babylon was 538 BC. But because of discouragement and opposition, work on the temple halted from 536 to 520 B.C. And you can read all about that in Ezra, chapter 3 through 6. Now, the ministry of Haggai, the book right in front of Zechariah, and Zechariah both began in 520, right there in Jerusalem. And for Zechariah, his ministry lasted till 480 B.C. And so the books of Haggai and Zechariah were written in 520 B.C. And the temple was complete in 516. This is the setting as we open up to Zechariah. And as you noticed, the scripture reading was from Haggai. And in Haggai just simply told the people in two chapters start rebuilding the temple and knock off building your house and not God's house. And so Zechariah has a series, actually has eight, eight different visions. By the way, I'm going to tell you this, chapter 1 through 7, Zechariah, write this down. In one night, he had eight visions. This is vision number four. And so let's see what God had to say and what it has to do with us. So secondly, let's look at the characters. I think you already know the characters. We have Jesus, we have Satan, and we have Joshua. Well, let's take a look 
at the character's action. First, we're going to look at Satan. You read verses 1 and 2 again. Folks, it says that Satan was at the right hand of Joshua. The right hand is the side of power. You know, Jesus rose to the right hand of God. The thief on the cross that was saved was on the right hand. Satan is right there in the position of power. And what's his purpose? His purpose is to accuse and to resist the forgiveness of Joshua. And brothers and sisters, he's doing all he can. By the way, let me show you this. In the second, in the second verse, it says here, I'm going to read it again. Just check this out. And the Lord said to who? Satan. Keep your Bibles open. And the Lord said to Satan, standing at the right hand opposing him. Well, here's what it is in the Hebrew. Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua to Satan him. You see, the word Satan means to uh, an opponent. And it could actually be referenced to Satan himself. The archenemy of goodness. An adversary. Someone who withstands against you. And what is he doing? Well, let's take a look at what he's doing. Let's look at Revelation. And get a different, a little, no, a similar definition of Satan, what he does. You, uh, some of you, you know, Revelation 12, you're going click, click. Verse 10, you got it? Remember what it says? Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser, Satan, of the brethren who accuses them before God, how often? Day and night. Accuses him. Let me show you what he did. I got me, I got me a Pastor Ryan Johnson back. Only somebody bought him a nice one, and that one came from Whole Foods. Are you ready what Satan was doing? I want you to see this. Here's what Satan was doing. Okay, God, I want you to check out the list of sins that I have kept against your servant, Peter Neary. And here they are. They're dated, and they are also described, and you have no business at all forgiving him. And why should I be kept from heaven when he's guilty of the very same things I did? Now, wait a minute here. How long is your list? You know, the Bible says that they keep record. The good deeds, the bad deeds, not just Satan. 
Folks, I want you to look at this. We got no business asking God to help us. We really don't. So when we look at the action of these characters, we see the part that Satan plays. Now let's look at Jesus and the part he plays. And I've got I've to tell you this. This is the fourth night vision. The very second verse. It says, then the Lord said to Satan, what? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. That's the part God plays, our Jesus. He plays the part of rebuking Satan, who has accurately listed all the sins that was committed by Joshua, by Peter Neary. But God rebukes Satan. By the way, there's one other place in the New Testament that quotes the same thing. God rebuke you, Satan. Do you remember where that is? Come on. Jude. Jude, Jude chapter 9. It said that Satan came to claim the body of Moses. And Michael came and said, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And he resurrected him on the spot and took him to heaven. The Lord rebuke you. The part Jesus plays in this story, folks, the actions, he has chosen Jerusalem. Now, a little bit of theology, and that is this. In the New Testament, Jerusalem is now a reference to the church. The church and the believers have taken the place of the Israelites and Jerusalem. And so when it says that Jesus chose Jerusalem, it made sense to Joshua and it made sense to Satan. But now in our day and age, he's saying, I chose you. I chose you. Therefore, I'm going to help you. I'm committed to that. Have you heard this lately? I got your back. The action that Jesus takes, he snatches burning sticks from the fire. And take a look what Matthew 12 says. Everybody turn to Matthew 12 and look at how Jesus, and by the way, Jesus is now going to be quoting from the Old Testament in Matthew 12. But I just wanted to go to the New Testament where Jesus quoted it to his believers. So take a look at chapter um, 12, verse 20. Oh, this is so comforting, folks. I'll tell you, what a God. He is amazing. Okay, do you have it? A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to the earth folks are you one of you a bruised reed do you know what a bruised reed is you know I remember in my research work in the lakes there would be reeds on the shoreline 
And if you broke the reed, it would hang over and then it would just flap in the wind. And sooner or later where that crack is, it will die and that piece of the reed will blow away and rot. I want you to know that it clearly says here, a bruised reed, he will not break. If he doesn't break it, what does he do? He heals it. And if you're a dimly smoking flask, a smoldering little ember, he fans it. He keeps water away from it. He tries to stoke that fire that is, is there simmering inside of us, even if it's very, very dim. For every single reed, every single spark is important to Jesus. Why? Because he chose us. Well, but then he commands help for his people. I love this. Look what he says here. Let's go to verse number, oops. I tell you to keep your place and I lost mine. Shame on me, right? I want to read this. Zechariah, where are you, Zechariah? Haggai, Zechariah, third chapter, he said this. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. He commands the angels to take the filthy garments from them, from him. Boys and girls, he sends angels to take away your dirty garments and give you the clean robe of Christ's righteousness. Though you don't see it, it's a gift from God, and we must learn to believe it. And what it literally means, boys and girls, is that he pardons our sins. Okay, now you see the three, two of the characters and their actions. Let's take a look at the last character and let's come to stark reality. Look at him. What did you notice in this story? That's only four verses, really. Did you notice anything about Joshua? Come on. Oops, I didn't want you. Joshua had absolutely nothing to say in his defense. Joshua was silent. Joshua didn't speak up to defend himself. He didn't say, oh, you're exaggerating, Satan. Get out. Don't listen to him, Jesus. He doesn't know what he's saying. Stark reality, Joshua was silent. Not because he was afraid, but he had nothing to say in defense of himself. 
But I want you to, to see these two points. Don't miss the stark reality. Here it is. Number one, Joshua was completely dumbfounded. But number two, where was he? Where was he? I even give you the answer. In two places we are distinctly told he was silent, he was dumb, he didn't speak, but he was standing before the angel of the Lord with dirty clothes. Folks, that's where we need to be. Especially if we have dirty clothes. No defense. In fact, he sat there, you know, the woman was dragged into the, in, into the temple at Jesus' feet. And Jesus, they said, Master, the Bible says that she must be stoned for her sin. And Jesus stood up and said, He who has not sin cast the first stone. And in the desire of ages, it said the woman braced for the rocks. And all she heard was the shuffling of feet. And then Jesus' voice pierced the fear and the anxiety as she sat there waiting. She thought, what's taking so long? Do they have to run outside and find big stones to bounce off my head? And then blood will start pouring out. What is going on? Just Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? Oh, yeah. Master, I... I don't know. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Why? Because she was dragged at the feet of Jesus. That's where we need to be, folks, in his presence. And yes, you've got to come to understand this is true. Our only hope is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then when we come to him with our filthy garments, here's what he does. The verdict is incredible. Jesus says, take away the filthy garments from him and let them put a clean turban on his head. Do you know the deep significance of this? You see, the high priest represents the whole congregation. And when he stood before the Lord with dirty clothes, it's because his nation was dirty. But he went to Jesus. And when he did, Jesus' verdict was not guilty. And when he heard that verdict, listen, this now, children, watch this. When he heard that verdict, here's the command that Jesus gave, and it makes it a whole lot difference now as we put all this together. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my commandments, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. 
I will give you a place to walk among these who stand here. And remember, this was a court scene, and it doesn't say it, but that means there were all kinds of angels who happened to be there. Obviously, when he said, take off his filthy garments and give him good garments, those were angels that carried forth that command. And my friends, here is righteousness by faith. You can't purchase. You can't buy. You can't do all the right things so that you get a white robe. Only when you come to Jesus and he gives it to you freely and openly. And when he does, it makes you want to obey him. Not, not so we keep the robe and make it to heaven. It's because we'd rather die than sin. And sure, you're going to say like I would say to you right now, well, I haven't stopped sinning yet. Well, just keep coming to Jesus. He'll work all that out. And so Jesus' command was that after Joshua suddenly realized, listen, remember I said the highly symbolic, that he represented the whole community. That meant they were all forgiven. And he said, now put the sacred helmet on his head, the beautiful white linen cloth that right in the center had a gold plate that said holiness to God. That's who we are. And you say, oh no, that's a high priest. I'm not the high priest. Ah, but Peter tells us that in the last days we are kings and priests with Jesus. And so, my friends, this is the kind of Savior we serve. And the silence of Joshua was not fear. His silence was he couldn't say a word in defense for himself. And that's when Jesus spoke up. And that's why we Seventh-day Adventists have a bigger challenge than most Christians because we know better what the Bible demands of his people. And so, we make an effort. And we pray harder for the Holy Spirit so that we have the power to do it. Amen. Let's be a church. Let's be a church family that strives to stand before Jesus. Do, do you remember Haggai chapter 1, verse 1? It says, be silent before the Lord. In Psalms 46, is it? Verse 10, he says that we should come before the Lord and wait upon him. And when we do that, he will speak to us power in order to obey because of his grace and mercy. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the Holy Bible, the stories that are in it, that spur us on to cooperate more fully with you, but especially, Lord, that we can come together in unity and fight this battle together 
So let your spirit be poured out on each one here. Don't let anyone leave discouraged. And also, Lord, don't let anyone here leave without making a decision about anything that your spirit brings to our individual minds that we need to do or take care of. So do this for us now, Lord, and bring us together in more full unity, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.